Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. From Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond. Here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. So I'm here today with Uim Umbakpan. Uem is the program manager at the Tony Elumelu Foundation and the Startup Grind Chapter Director for Legos. Uem, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't we start this off? Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about your time and your experience growing up in Legos? And then what was your first foray into this, this whole world of startups? Okay, thank you, Andrew. Well, Legos, Legos, Legos. Uh... Like you said, I was born in Lagos, and Lagos is the city of hustle. I mean, if, you, if you're going to be anywhere in Nigeria, you have to be in Lagos first. It's the only city that I think is really similar to Lagos is New York, in terms of you know, the amount of people that are moving around and all that. I was born into a family that just thought that hard work was the only way to make it, and not necessarily smart work. And that's one of the things that we have to deal in Nigeria as a whole. Everybody's so hardworking, but I don't think we're working smart enough. Anyways, I think that passion for smart work actually led me into entrepreneurship because I have a core background in technology. I, I did a bit of um, electrical and electronics in university, and then I veered into you know, cybersecurity right out of, out, um, after school. But I found out that I was, I was still attracted to you know, business, and so I ran some small businesses while I was doing a bit of corporate work. So I, I had a web design company and I also had a logistic company. Some years back, I joined Hairs Holdings. Hairs Holdings is a, an investment company in Nigeria, and they had a CSR um, called the Tony Elimolu Foundation. And in 2015, um, the founder then was thinking of how he could give back. So, I mean, he's a billionaire, and he's passionate about you know changing the narrative around Africa. And he said, well, what, what was the best way to do that? And he said, it's a float and entrepreneurship program. Now, in 2015, that was just a dream. I mean, build a program that is going to impact entrepreneurs from 54 African countries. Then that, that was a dream. And the goal for us was to put together the pieces and make it real. So in 2015, I, with my tech background, I was responsible for building the platform that sort of supported the entrepreneurs across Africa. Because it was supposed to be an online program, we had to heavily rely on tech to scale. And so we had to build a platform, you know, Define the learning content because a core part of the program is not just the learning, but also mentoring. So that was basically what really brought me into um, entrepreneurship. That's what put me knee deep into entrepreneurship. Got it. And one thing that really interested me when I was um, doing some research on, on you and, and the foundation is, is the concept of Afro-capitalism. Uh, and I know yeah. it's something that Tony has kind of um, been, been pushing and something that you've kind of adopted and so can you kind of walk us through that concept and, and, and what it means for kind of, uh, or I guess how it can help Africa develop? So it just comes from the belief that the private sector in Africa is holds the key to Africa's development, not any foreign aid, not over-reliance on government policies. It's actually the private sector, which means that if you can help businesses grow and scale and become big enough to be self-sufficient, they can actually change the fortunes of Africa, you know, through the amount of revenues they're generating through the jobs and also the economic impact in terms of infrastructure they will build. 
Now, if you use Nigeria as a case study, I could tell you that instead of the usual push-pull effects where the government builds infrastructure and then businesses gravitate around that, you find that it's the other way around where small businesses actually build infrastructure and then you find out that you know other businesses begin to spring up around around that those areas so that's basically the fundamental thinking behind africa capitalism that the private sector is actually very very important and responsible for africa's development no i completely agree and it's something i've seen as well i think that the u.s spends way too much of our our human capital our money that flows to africa in the aid and ngo world I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on the ground in Africa, and a lot of them are building, you know, growing and successful businesses. I think that the numbers are, on a macro level, are skewed towards the negative, mainly because a lot of the political businesses are the ones that are actually losing money. Yeah. Those are the ones that actually aren't growing. And so, and so yes, long story short, I, I, completely, I completely agree with that concept of Afro-capitalism. Do you think that the, or, or like, what do you think the nonprofit world should be doing more of to, to help the private sector? Or, or, I mean, do you think that, do you think that that world needs to kind of wind down and those resources go into the private sector? Or do you think that the nonprofit world still has a role to play in Africa? It's just, you know, it needs to be corrected. I think it needs to be corrected. Everybody has their role to play. I wouldn't say the non-profit should be totally eliminated. I mean, the Tony Elimelu Foundation is actually a non-profit. But we need to rethink giving, rethink the way we have this impact project. So I, I see so much people write so much about impact investing. But if you go and do a deep dive into, you know, the impact of those investments, you find out that there's really nothing because these monies are pumped into government projects that really don't have a sustainable plan or have responsible people in charge. So I, I think eventually we have to rethink, you know, giving aids, giving this impact investment. We need to go down to meet the players that are actually making the difference say for example yes the tony Limelu foundation because we've actually we have a formula that is working for us and there are many others that are doing different things in um, kenya you have a, a company called ongoza that's doing something quite different if only we can ad- identify such companies and pump those money into them it will make more sense and more impact rather than you know just throw the money at government projects and expect miracles to happen at the end of the day right yeah that makes sense so switching gears to your Startup Grind hat, who's been the most interesting interview that you've done for the Startup Grind programs? Uh, we've had quite a number in the last two years. And what we do in Lagos, Lagos is, Startup Grind is quite more, is more fun than the regular. We, we try to play a lot because Lagos is such a busy place. So we, we want people to unwind. And so we've not just focused on um, entrepreneurs in tech because we've done blockchain, we've done all that we, we, we actually go even as far as music and the likes. We've had um, the likes of Onyeka Okuma, who is the CEO of Farm Crowdy. Farm Crowdy has raised up to about $5 million in seed funding. If, and I think even more now, Onyeka was very awesome because he brought his experience in working with, you know, private businesses to building his own business, building a business that, you know, is receiving attention from YC and all the likes. We've had musicians, um, we've, we've had a music producer who we thought was just a music producer but who had you know, investments across Nigeria. So it, it would be hard for me to you know, identify names, but everybody that has come on the, the Lagos Startup Grind has been very impactful and interesting. Where do you typically, typically host your events? Do you do it on the islands? 
Yeah, most times on the islands, because it's a funny story. For Lagos, when you host events on the islands, they always feel more, people feel they gain more. It's very weird than when you do it on the mainland. But we've had on the islands, on the mainlands, but mostly on islands because the infrastructure is more available on islands. You have beautiful workspaces. So mostly on islands. Got it. And have you ever done, like outside of Lagos, are there active startup ground chapters or, or similar communities in like uh, in the north yeah. or in Abuja? Yeah. The beautiful thing about the success of um, Lagos Startup Grind is that it has actually replicated to other states. Prior to, you know, rebooting the Lagos Startup Grind about 2.5 years ago, that's about two and a half years ago, most of the Startup Grind chapters across Nigeria were really dormant. But once we did a reboot in Lagos, we started getting interest from people. People came to our events and were excited at the way we were doing it and decided to, you know, try to replicate that. So now we have in at least, we have in at least 12 states in Nigeria. We hope to keep on growing. But as you know, holding ecosystem events like this can be very, very um, tasking and expensive, especially in these regions, because you, you really have people put money in this thing. So oftentimes, whoever is leading these chapters have to be you know, really passionate about what they're doing. Right. And so, yeah. It takes a lot of energy to put together a successful event in Nigeria. Are people typically on time? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the African time, I think a Nigerian coined that word. It's quite difficult making people stick to time. But what we've done in Lagos is that we've tried to be very, very, very insistent on, on starting on time. So if we say an event starting by 3, at least by 3.15, we're off. And, you know, one of the things we did was, you know, we, took, we put the food early enough. So people mm. started, got, you know, small chops, that, that's the finger food. By three thirty, so people were forced to come early because <laughs> they didn't want to miss food. Yeah, yeah, that's a good strategy. <laughs> but I, I was asking more, less, less about Africa time and more so just the traffic. That um, oh, but <laughs> well, um, the interesting thing is we've sort of built the traffic into our clock. So if you were going to be at a meeting by four, you definitely know you should be out of your house by three o'clock. So we've sort of built that into, you know, our timing. But yeah, traffic is a problem. And um, it's getting better, to be honest. It's getting better. The state governments are, are doing their bit of work. And you also hope that the citizens, too, also do their bit of work, you know, driving safely and all that. But, but yeah, yeah, it's getting better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think from what I saw, I thought that the easiest and most simple way to help at least alleviate some traffic on the bridge between the island and the mainland would just be have a ferry going back and forth i don't think i don't think it'd be that yeah, coincidentally I, yeah we, we so, so the thing about um, nigeria and africa generally is we know what to do we just decide to put um, roadblocks because if somebody must benefit from the inefficiency mm. and that's the biggest problem with corruption people are benefiting from the inefficiency we know the right things. So we have very creative entrepreneurs. We have people that have studied in the best universities, seen the best facilities worldwide, but come to Nigeria and okay and okay with the way it is because they benefit from the inefficiencies. By now, our waterways should be well, should be used. And I, I even know a couple of people that try to invest in boats and all that. But unfortunately, the government have been very slow in their approvals and their policies. So it has sort of killed that sector. But I hope that sector is going to be resurrected because the private sector is actually investing in it. MTN recently donated a ferry to the Lagos state government. So that's it's a work in progress. Interesting. Well, I, I do want to ask, so I, I saw you tweeted out a few days ago that you just finished a meeting 
with the African Development Bank. Mm-hmm. And you came, it, it seems like you came out, out of that meeting super positive about the impact that you're having on entrepreneurs through the foundation. Yeah. So I was just curious to hear more about what was so uh, optimistic about that. You remember um, earlier I said that we, we need to rethink giving or rethink the AIDS and, and that's what we, that was the core of the discussion with um, EFDB. So EFDB is like, okay, we want to do more, we want to invest more and we've seen that entrepreneurship is the channel through which we can, you know, democratize wealth. So wealth can be spread out through entrepreneurship. And what's the best way to do it? Rather than just look for um, an elephant project to pump money into it, typically what the AFDB would do, put into one infrastructure project. Why don't we try to invest in these entrepreneurs at a granular level through the Tony Elimelu Foundation? So we already have a system that works. We have a pool of investable entrepreneurs because they've gone through a 12-week online training, which some people say it's like an online MBA because basically it breaks down all aspects of businesses into, you know, weekly tasks and all that. These entrepreneurs are paired with a mentor who also guide them strategically. So at the end of the day, they come back out at the end of the tunnel ready for business and being very investable. And so the AFDB was saying to us that instead of us, you know, putting all this money into projects we cannot track the impact, why don't we put into yours why don't we um, through your program select additional entrepreneurs from across africa and um, entrepreneurs from high migration areas um, and then see uh, and now watch you know how the effects will trickle down to their communities how these entrepreneurs are going to you know start their businesses employ people you know and, and even help attain the sdg co- sdg goals so yeah that was why i was so excited Got it. And what's your opinion on the development bank uh, investing in infrastructure versus startups? I mean, do you think do you think that it would be helpful for them to put some capital into maybe being a fund of funds into more you know early stage venture capital type funds? Yeah, definitely. It has to be a mix. Infrastructure is very important. I mean. The reason why you have thousands of SMEs in, in Europe and in America is because infrastructure exists. Simple um, internet, power, housing, you need those things. However, with Africa, we found out that when you enable businesses to succeed, they also help with building this infrastructure. You cannot wait for the government to get this, put these things in place. You can't over-rely on, on governments, right? So a better way to do this will now be true entrepreneurs, which, is, which, I, which I say it has to be a mix. You have to, there has to be some sort of balance, you know, finding the best businesses to, to invest in. Say, for example, an Andela, right when Andela started. Just imagine if EFDB put a bit of money into, into Andela. Just imagine how much returns we probably have gotten by now. So, you know, identifying those high-growth high, high companies, identifying companies that have the potential to be world beaters and investing in them early enough so that you can help them quickly grow and scale is going to be a big deal because at the end of the day, they're still going to create jobs. They're going to generate revenue, which in turn will increase the GDP of the countries, which will also help. I mean, if GDP increases, the government has more money to spend on, on infrastructure at the end of the day because they're going to make money from tax and or whatnot. So, yeah, it has to be a mix. Right, and, th- and there it is. I mean, I think that most, most African leaders, they need to understand that concept of, okay, if I actually let more of this money flow through to the private sector, it's going to return to me down the road through taxes and through yep. GDP growth as opposed to, you know, corruption for the sake of corruption. <laughs> but, okay, so what outside of fintech? Because that's, that's what we, we keep hearing. Mm-hmm. We keep hearing it's just fintech, fintech, fintech. 
when it comes to African startups. What do, what do you think are the sectors that, from the, a startup and disruption perspective, can, can have the most impact on Nigeria? Um, very first would be agriculture, and we're in that phase right now. So apart from fintech, agriculture is very big. People are beginning to see that you can use technology to enable your business, which is actually very important because no matter what sector you're playing in, you know that when once you can use technology to sort of enable the business, you know that you can scale rapidly and it can become very big. So agriculture is one big um, one sector that is catching up. Education and training. Education is becoming. People are beginning to see that you can you can actually get more people educated because there's actually an education deficit in Africa and in Nigeria especially. So people are beginning to see that we can actually use tech to you know impact that sector. So. It, Education is really, and there are a lot of companies that are being funded right now. I know um, Ingini, which is a, an edtech accelerator in South Africa, took in about two or three, three edtech companies in last year, and this year they took in about two. So yeah, education and training is another sector. And what do you what do you think about solar? What do you think about solar? Because it makes sense to me, especially in Nigeria with with all the generators running, why it would be valuable. But I can't I can't really wrap my head around what what exactly like the business model is, especially consumer facing. To be honest, uh, renewable energy is expensive all right. around the world. So you know, right. the, initially it's quite it's an expensive venture, and unfortunately. We, the I wouldn't say Nigeria, African governments tend to subsidize the wrong things. Unfortunately, they don't realize that they have to subsidize something like that because the long-term benefits are a lot. Nigeria is still an import-based economy, so most of the things you need to build a solar panel or a solar plant or anything renewable, you have to import and you still have high import duties and, and the likes. So unfortunately, that, that sector, while there are quite a number of people trying to do a lot there, I personally know one. It's still nascent. It still needs a lot of work. And unfortunately, the private sector can't do it alone. This time, we actually need government to push through through policies. There's another thing you just brought up. Like, you know, why is Nigeria such an import-heavy economy when you have so much natural resources on the ground? It seems like there is a movement in across the entire continent to really start moving up the value chain mm-hmm. in terms of bringing a lot of value add and a lot of processing actually back home. Yeah. Um because it seems like, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm no expert. I'm, I'm, I've read a couple books on it, but it seems like most of that raw material gets exported to Southeast Asia and Europe, yeah. where the value add happens there. Yeah, so I mean, it seems like that's a that's a big gap that can definitely help help the economy, help the GDP. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I, in addition, I think it's two things also. One, we've lost the concept of education. So when people mention education, everybody thinks, oh, high school, university, and all that. But we've the vocational schools have actually died. So you actually don't have people with core technical skills. And so you don't have people that can actually manufacture, you know, or use their hands. And that's also borne up from the fact that the second reason is we don't necessarily have a DIY culture. So I compared to the America where you can walk into IKEA, buy, you know, different things and put your furniture together. We don't necessarily have that culture here. We like to buy products whole. And so you have very few people, you know, work to build, you know, modular businesses or anything that you can build in your hands most times people just look for finished products and the finished products are being imported mainly imported and then maybe thirdly you know government policy there has to be unfortunately the governments here think that the best way to raise money is to task them um, tax so they keep on increasing taxes import duties but that eventually hurts the smaller businesses and um yeah it really hurts the small businesses uh, 
So, yeah. Well, Um, this has been fantastic. Uh, we're going to finish off with a quick fire round. Four questions, 60 seconds per answer. <laughs> Sound good? Yeah. What is your favorite business book and why? This is not necessarily a business book, but um, it actually impacted me. Forget a mentor, find a sponsor. I can't remember who wrote it. It was somebody that gave me that book as a gift two years ago. And that's really, really important in business because oftentimes in Africa, we, we don't see mentorship and you know learning from other people as, as very important. We think everybody's a competition. So you miss out on you know the knowledge that you can gain from people that have done that, run that race. And oftentimes a sponsor actually sticks their reputation for you. And um, yeah, that's why I love that book. That book changed my mind and changed the way I saw things. All right. So this one is a, a little bit selfish, but what is the the best place in Lagos to get good jollof? Or like what, what, what restaurant serves the best jollof, <laughs> the best jollof in Lagos? Oh my God. Um, I think I would say Jevenik. It's, it's a local restaurant. Jevenik? Uh, Jevenik, yeah. Okay. Where, where is that at? It's uh, they have branches all across Nigeria, but yeah, it's on uh, the mainland. Okay, good to know. So next question: If you were uh, raising a fund besides mm-hmm. besides Tony, besides Tony, mm-hmm. who is your dream LP, and why? So um, I would I, I would if I was going to do that, I would, I would do with Steve Jobs. Is dead, right? But he had some foresight, which is missing right now. I think a lot a, a lot of you know funds and a lot of companies do not have that kind of foresight he saw things the way people didn't see it and i wish we have more of them people like him in africa last question what is your favorite thing about living in lagos um the never say die attitude lagosians just keep on pushing 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 and you can see it in the everyday life i was in san francisco in february was at the google office you know was at the startup grind conference it was exciting to see, you know, very innovative people from across the world. But you just missed, you, there's, so, there's a difference. So I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there is that drive that it's, it's, you can feel it. You can feel it when you walk into Lagos. Everybody's just trying to achieve something. Everybody's just trying to push through. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, Uwam, Uwam thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberk, that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world.